Um, so, any you guys uh, confused by any cultural phenomenons? Whether it's now or in the past. I mean, there was always a thing when I was a kid, like the pet rock. Um, who lived in the Who lived in the pet rock era? Okay, what was the pet rock about? I mean, and and how widespread was it? Um, that was like just before my time. But you're like, it's a rock. That's a pet. You know. I think that most people are are envious of the pet rock person. Um, caviar. How many of you guys like caviar? Do you like caviar? What's that? It is fish eggs. I remember, you know, like you hear caviar is like, you know, it's this much. You know, you get a little can for like a hundred bucks. Like my grandmother and and then my mom and aunts would eat caviar and, you know, as like a side thing, like a special whatever. So you try it and you're like, this is kind of saltiness. I don't know. So, um, but that's like, that's like my, my, uh. My feelings about that. What about you guys? I think you're just like, I just don't get it. Man buns. What's that? Man buns. Man buns. Okay. You don't get it. Skinny jeans. Skinny jeans. Okay. Okay. Can we add that to the man buns? <laughs> why, why would you do it to yourself? Why would you do it to yourself? Um. As you get older, the normal genes become. <laughs> 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 you mean your wife's been strengthening the laundry? Yeah, she's strengthening the laundry. Hair crimpers, back in the day when girls used to make craziness in their hair by like lining their hair. Yeah. And then it would be poofy, so it was, you know, I, I didn't get it. Yeah. Yeah, my sister had like natural curly hair, and then she went through the phase where then it was like she had it straightened. Yeah. And then that now she's back long, to it? curly. You have to like take it even longer. Than yeah, well, not, I mean, she would go to certain, I guess, hairdressers, and they would do a treatment, like a three month treatment. Yeah. And so to keep it straight, this is pretty interesting. What's that? So how do you sit still that long? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. So, yeah, it's a. Uh, the things you the things you do for for fashion. Well, so a lot of you know some of the things you can talk about is right fashion. These you guys kind of you know understand. There's certain things like I just don't get boy bands. I don't know some of them. Just like what is what? Come on, come on. I don't know. I mean, some you're like okay, they got talent, but then others you're like really I don't know. So, but you know we have we have our things, and so there's plenty of stuff that I could uh, say. Just showing off their skinny jeans. It's I mean you know. So, right, and if the if the audience was large enough, right, then then there'd be those, uh, you know, that defend the skinny so jeans and the man bun. The <laughs> you tried it? No, I never did that. My parents would want me to do that. Or the rat tail. <laughs> the rat. The rat. I wanted a rat tail, and I wanted a bleach tip. My parents wanted me to do that. The rat tail. The mullet's coming back, and uh, but you're like, I don't know, like. I, there's very, very few people that can pull off the mullet. But the rat tail, I don't know, Why could anyone? <laughs> Why did it ever go away? Of course it came back. It should have never gone away. It was too amazing to to be around for too long. Oh So What's that? Ronnie. I have a twin brother, and when we were little boys, we used to work on the farm, and we'd have to tend to the cows, and they'd lick us on our forehead. That's how we wound up with cow <laughs> <laughs> Um So there's things that we'll, we'll look at, and we'll think like, I don't, I don't get it. But then we're going to look at things that right that uh, are part of kind of um, in our culture, like the things that people. Uh, approve of and like, and that we'll see how how the Lord uh, you know describes them, um, and then uh, we want to kind of kind of keep separated, right? The things that like are a preference between the things that um, are mandated in what the Lord uh, really what brings the Lord glory. So um, last time, you know, in our kind of discussion and when a culture rejects the gospel, uh, we we again talked about the idea that. Um, that the knowledge of God is evident to all people. 
But then starting to talk about that the denial of knowing God has staggering consequences that come with it. So I'm going to read the last few verses, just do a a slight uh, summary um, and recap, and then uh, we'll move on to uh, the next verses and maybe wrap it up uh, for today. We'll see. So verse 18 in chapter 1 of Romans, we read, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So what do we see? We see first that God clearly shows evidence of himself in creation, right? It just takes a little bit of thought, a little bit of, of perception, a little bit of like, you know, so what does this mean the implications to kind of see, right, that there is a creator behind the creation. We talked about that uh, last time. So to come to that conclusion is evident in what God has made. In addition, there is no excuse for someone to not know God exists. That's what Paul says, right? So that means, right, that uh, any consequences for acting if God does not exist are justified. So there will be a consequence, right? You can't live in ignorance of this fact. And why is that? Because God, right, um, showing himself, knowing that there is a God, means that, that coming alongside with that is to want to know more about that God. I was trying to kind of think, like, what would be a good analogy? Um, perhaps a, a partial analogy could be um, knowing, like, that you have a birth parent, right, that exists, and wanting to know more about your birth parent in order to um, find out just more about who you are. But it goes beyond that because there are actually consequences for living as if your birth parent does not exist. And so that's kind of what we're going to see next. And so then the question is, why do people act as if God does not exist? Well, Paul says they don't want to know him. They don't want to honor him or give thanks to him. And so when we kind of think about that, and we'll come back to that idea a little bit later, as this is what the kind of bare minimum of what God has embedded in creation, and even in the, in, even in the gospel. Since we are created, we should give thanks, we should give honor, and we should know God more. But like I said, we'll come back to that. And so the question is, well, then why remake God in your own image, right? Because that was the replacement that Paul says, that there was an exchange of the glory of God for things that resemble man and creatures. And so we concluded that, right, a God made in your own image or one that you can make up is one that you can also remake, right? A, another God is more palatable than a God that has, where there are implications to knowing or not or rejecting that God. And so people would rather um, settle for a man-made image than the true thing. An inferior man-made God than the one that is the God of glory. And so as, a, as kind of a conclusion, right, as the creation, we see that we must honor and give thanks to our Creator. And we do so by behaving consistent with what we know about Him from observing the creation. And so when we don't do that, right, then there is a response from God. So how does God respond to people worshiping anything but him? That's what we kind of lead in today. And so we'll kind of take this couple verses at a time. But starting in verse 24 and verse 25, we'll look at these and see. So as a result of exchanging the glorious God for a created God in, in their own image, We read in verse 24, Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, 
and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So we see that, that as a result of this, right, then sin is allowed to increase. And I kind of, you know, it's kind of like where we enter into like some of the why questions when we look at like the world around us, right? Why does God allow sin? You know, why does God allow people to worship other religions? Um, meaning, if he only wanted us to worship himself, then why isn't it more clear and evident than it already is? But we've already talked about that, that it is. So why are there so many conflicting beliefs? You know, why can't anyone agree what is morally wrong? But then again, why do we have like similar understandings about what is, you know, how we should treat one another? Um, because there is culturally many overlapping moral standards like murder and stealing and lying and cheating. And so why do we have commonality there, but then differences elsewhere? And so what links us and yet separates us? And so why does God not want to stop it? So the first thing, though, is that Paul says, as we kind of think about these things, right? God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity. So when we think about this idea of the lust of their hearts, we've kind of been talking about this, you know, uh, recently in recent sermons. Um, the idea, right, where, uh, where does sin come from? And the Pharisees, you know, might have said, well, is it sin is something that is external because of something you do or because of something, you know, in this case was like what you eat is, makes you unclean. What did Jesus say? It's not what you eat, what goes inside, it's what? What comes outside, right? What comes out of the heart. And so inside the heart, we know, right, that there is sin. James 1 says, let no one say when he's tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. This is kind of a clear verse on this. Verse 14, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And that word desire is this word that Paul uses for lust, giving them over to their own desires or their own lusts that they have. Uh, James continues, the conscience that God has, sorry, the desire, then desire when it has conceived gives birth to sin and sin when it is fully grown brings forth death. And so um, these lusts, these desires, these things that are inside our heart. And again, remember we talked about uh, in sermons that the recent sermons that the idea of the heart is more than just like your emotion. It's like your intellect and will and what you think. It's kind of your whole inner being that God is like, you know, if you have these desires, then I'm going to allow you to go after them. And so um, what do we say that kind of restrains people or gives people kind of a moral like what's right or wrong already? Yeah, the conscience. There's an interesting, and I'll have you guys maybe read on your own. If you look at like 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, um, Paul talks about like this man of lawlessness will come. And he kind of talks about in the, in the sense of like the end times that there is a restraint that is happening uh, in the culture that God is going to remove. And then when God removes it, then there is going to be a, a kind of a widespread belief in a delusion, basically like a, a religion that people will believe when God pulls his restraint away. Similar language that you see that I don't think Paul is necessarily talking about this in the sense that, that God is doing, like this is an end times kind of discussion, but he does talk about like what happens to a culture when God says, you know, why don't you follow after your desires and the restraint that I've given you within your conscience is no longer having a bearing in what you do. <clears throat> there's reasons for that, a searing of the conscience, but there's also kind of a removal of that. What's another restraint other than the conscience? Well, the conscience is kind of like a help in form, but what, what restrains people from doing what they want? Yeah, socially acceptable or codified in what you would say like laws, right? You don't do things that are specific to like what a culture says is right or wrong or whether it is explicit or implicit in, in social norms. But when you talk about explicit things, right, um, explicit things are what, what fuels a society or what is governed over a society to put certain laws in place, right? And so you think of like certain cultures, well, how do they come up with the laws and it was based on, you know, their worldviews. And so we'd say, like, what, you know, where is America founded? 
Um, what was our, did our founding fathers have as our unalienable rights that were given by our creator? You know, so there was this idea that maybe the moral law in America was kind of patterned after um, uh, a religious law that people believed, and it informed the conscience. Then you have like social norms that sometimes then feed into whether laws are you know, applied or not. And so you have what's in the culture and, and what the people believe, and then you can see when that restraint is pulled away, then what fills that void? I can't remember. Did somebody talk to me? Maybe it was somebody who's not here about this idea of like a vacuum. You ever hear the the idea that nature abhors a vacuum? I think that was uh, Aristotle. It was a physical concept. But it was the idea of like something always fills a void. Um, when there is a you know when there is a vacuum, then something will fill it up. Um, and so we'll see that when, when God pulls away what will fill in where God's moral restraint comes to pass. And so he says, when they fall, you know, they follow the desires of their heart, right? Gave them up to the lust of the desires of their hearts to what? It says it leads to impurity. <clears throat> I feel like this, this, uh, this word is a little bit too kind. Does anyone have a different word? Um, Vile passions. That's that's better, right? It's something that is dirty. Uh, so if you kind of think like, what is like nasty or something? Like I hate to clean that. Like that's like what you would think about when you're when you would talk about what that what that idea is. The contents of graves are discuss, are discussed as such. Like it's translated in one way to kind of talk about that. And so moral corruption could be another <laughs> translation within this. Uh, within this context. And so that's where God is saying, like the giving out that restraint, going over the desires of their hearts goes towards kind of vileness, like refuse. Um, the things that people would not in the light say, oh yeah, that's something that I love. Um, it's something that, you know, is abhorred, right? And so God says, if you want your sin, I'll allow you to do it. I think a great um, kind of picture that Jesus gave was the prodigal son. Right. Well, the prodigal sons, you know, he kind of went up to his father and said, you know, hey, I'm going to take my inheritance now and then I'm going to go off and I'm going to spend it. And where did the prodigal son end up after he spent all his fortune? Yeah. And so it was the pigsty. It was that kind of living within that that refuse, that vileness, the implications of his sin, but also the physical condition that he was in um, led to. Kind of him waking up, and it almost wasn't even like waking up to the state of his sin. It was almost like, I'd be better off like where my father was. And so it's, it's kind of bringing him back into, uh, you know, back into where God wants you to be. And sometimes, you know, God allows you to go to the depths of your sin and then be able to see the sin that you're in. Unfortunately, you know, Usually when you're at the depths of your sin, you have company with you, and not all of you come to the same conclusion. And so this idea, right, is this impurity is manifest in seeing the dishonoring of their bodies amongst themselves. So why do you think God would allow, like, this external display? The external display of... The dishonoring their bodies, and he says, amongst themselves. And that's kind of like where Paul says this impurity heads to. So why, why do you think like that's kind of like where, you know, what God is showing? What's that? Act of judgment. Okay, in what way? Well, you know, he's sort of letting them, you know, kind of get what they ask for. You know, okay, well, you want this, I'll, I'll give it to you. you know, and sort of showing them what the end result will be and as a... I think an example to others to see where that will take them. Okay. Can I answer your question? No, yeah, it does. But let's go even further than that, right? So it's not only an act of judgment, but an act of judgment that is, um, well, that is visible to others, right? And so the sin that he kind of goes to after this is not like, the sin that I have, that I have in my own heart, and that I'll do in my own, you know, private residence, and that I'll do with whatever, it ends up becoming kind of a cultural, social sin that 
he, that he'll go to next. And so it is an act of judgment, but it's also an external display that is, is uh, visible to all. It's almost like, you know, what was the book that, uh, is it the Scarlet Letter, right? Is that the name of the book? Yeah, they had like wore the A, right? And it was like, oh, she has to wear this A, right? And so uh, that she's an adulteress. And so like, you know, now it's like that was that was like what was widespread. It was like wearing that that badge is now like part of the cultural norms um, instead of something that is looked down upon and and shamed. And so, um, so we see that. That not only that, right, is that um, that they would dishonor their bodies amongst themselves, but then he gives like the reason that he would allow this to happen, and he talks about this next exchange. What's this next exchange that we see? And not that it's different, but he's kind of like explaining what this, the truth of what this exchange is. So a truth for a lie. And so that, you know, instead of just saying you're going to worship the, the glorious God for, you know, things that are made in the image of man and creatures and creeping things, that he says essentially what you've replaced is a truth for a lie. You would rather worship a lie than truth. And you would rather worship images of creatures than the glory of God. And so Paul is just getting blunt, right, with the people. And so as you kind of think of like, what are these, these you know, cultural phenomena? I was, I was kind of thinking like, um, you know, like certain, certain uh, friends of mine when growing up as a teenager, they would have posters of people on the wall. And I just kind of was thinking back of that. I was like, like, what was that about? You know, having a having a poster of someone on the wall, and like, what what was the thing that made you revere a particular person, where you would like maybe want to wake up every day and see that person, right? Um, <clears throat> but there was like Scott Bayo or something like that. Right? Uh, that's who you had. That's who I had. Yeah. So I'm talking about somebody I knew, but um, you just think back on that, and you're like, what what is that about, right? And so. There's this idolatrous right notion, this idea that we want to revere certain things and certain people, um, and so I don't know. I was just kind of thinking about what what is that, and essentially it's that I'd, I'd rather think about this thing than think about you know the implications of following God. You've, I've exchanged a, a lie instead of worshiping the truth. So what then is giving? You know, giving them over to the impurity of filth look like? Well, Paul then gets explicit in verses 26 and 27. He says, For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. So this idea of dishonorable passions are uh, unrespectable, that idea of dishonorable, like less than honor, and so things that don't measure up to this, the standard, and so those that are sometimes worthless or unrespectable, and, and specifically these passions are usually se- sexual desires. And so the first one he talks about is women exchange natural relations contrary to nature. So what you typically see in the natural world is not what is being done amongst the women uh, in the in, you know in culture. And sometimes people will look at you know nature and say, well, there are examples of this activity in nature, but largely as a whole, it is contrary to what nature uh, what is seen in nature. And then the same thing he says, men do likewise, and even gets more explicit with what that looks like. And so if you just step back and said, well, what is the purpose of sexual desire? The idea is that sexual desire was given for the purpose of offspring. And so you see that in nature, right? And so if you watch any animal show, right, there is like a mating season and they're usually like they talk about what that looks like. And so that 
that r- response is for the purpose of reproduction. And so there is no reproduction with two women. There is no reproduction with two men. And that's what Paul is saying. It is contrary to nature. But it's contrary to nature in the sense that like people know that it is contrary to nature, yet are willingly do the opposite. And so committing shameless acts with men, shameless meaning understood in culture and in themselves, that it is against what nature desires. And then it says, with that, receiving in themselves the penalty for their um, their error. So w- what do you think that penalty is? What's that? <laughs> Monkey pox. That was, that was something like you didn't, you know, there wasn't like, you know, uh, share too much, which I was uh, pretty surprised about. And I don't know, is monkeypox gone? I'm not really sure. No, so. Yeah, because it yeah because you'd see that it would it would like a child would have it, then you start seeing well how many children have it. Transmitted homosexually, that doesn't really fit the mainstream narrative. Right, right, which is where you would say kind of where we're where we're at in how we present ourselves. Um, but when when we see this idea that there's a penalty, so the penalty could be right a physical penalty. There could be a penalty in just the the idea right like. The, the way that they're living is deceptive to what nature desires. And then... You also have consequences that, are, that you take on a more macro level. What comes to form and be defined as leadership. What did you say? Who or comes in form to be defined as leadership. Who is yeah. eligible to be, as, to be defined as a leader? Yes. And so, and then that, you know, circling back to your, the previous part of the scripture... The consequences cultural and what becomes moral, um, and so the consequence, as you said, it doesn't fit into, into the narrative. Um, the consequences of this sin is that people are delusionally hubristic. They think that they have the ability to discern what good leadership is because they define it themselves now. And so, um, you know, on the, on the individual level, men, women with women, and then with men, that has immediate and practical consequences. But from a leadership and what we put, uh, what we aspire to as leaders of our communities, our local communities, and then you know, state, federal, global, people are confused on a massive level now, and it all starts with the simple. So. And even even in you know the society that Paul is speaking of, right? It was um, I would say uh, you wouldn't say percentage-wise, that it was, like, widespread, but it was common practices. Now, it still wasn't, like, um, outwardly uh, condoned or acknowledged. It was some so, still behind closed doors, but practiced and known, um, and, but not as, like, something that was thrust upon as, as, like, this is okay or this is even, like, healthy and beneficial. But, you know, like, right, what are the end consequences of, uh, of this within the immediate relationship, and then beyond that, yeah, what are the widespread effects of doing that? And the fact that he brings up that is contrary to nature, I'm glad you kind of brought this up, Corey, that, that it does bring in along with it a confusion of what well, is normative. Well, I mean, in nature's practice, again, it's on a very personal level, you know, of, of there's a saying that all pol- real true politics is an example is local, okay, and so you know again if you're willing to kind of be delusional and, and rely upon your own understanding at, at just at this level, well then you almost have to continue that practice and your other choices in life, you know, and it just talk about muddy water, you know what I mean? Yeah. Rivers of it, oceans of it. Yeah, so. and if what we understand about kind of. Um, how we live our lives within the patterns of nature, right? We, we can sense how we can order things by how God has ordered things. When we get away from that, then we start kind of feeding into, you know, what worldviews like help us uh, make sense <laughs> of the world around us. And they start to kind of then cannibalize themselves. Really and we're, we're, I, we're seeing that more and more of like, competing worldviews that you're like, it can't all be true. They can't all coexist. Um, and so, 
Well, that's the idea of the judgment, that it is part of God's wrath, the abandonment of, of men. And this is the slippery slope that we're on that, that he's talking about. We're just going to keep getting progressively worse. Rights, wrong, wrongs, right. Um, so it's completely I've heard it described as the flight to affirmation. You know, you just can't, you, you, you would do this, in the, or the snowball effect, if you need a more another way to visualize it. You know? In our house, we teach our kids you get the reason you have to manage small snowballs is because the only thing they're going to do is get bigger. And, uh, and so this is, you know, he's doing a great job of describing the, the most immediate snowball you'll have in your life. And then um, you're kind of extrapolating from there. But. Yeah, and, and also, as it's a subversion, right, of, you know, kind of going with the leadership of in the home, right, when you don't have, like, the basic governmental structure, right? The most fundamental governmental structure is the family, right? And so within that, right, that's how kids understand, you know, obeying authority and right and wrong and rules and things like that and goes beyond beyond that. So when that's crossed, then you start opening the door to all these other things. And again, while it wasn't widespread within like the culture and even talking to, you know, those that would follow Judaism, it, it was, um, you know, it goes against what God had said. You know, you might say in some certain Gentile context that it was more widespread, especially within leadership. And you have examples of that. It wasn't wasn't out there, but we're starting to see it <laughs> in our world and what that's starting to look like. And so, you know, the 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 follow-up to that, right, when you, do, you don't choose to follow God, then what, what does he say that it leads to? Judgment. It leads to judgment, okay? Well, it will lead to judgment. We'll get to that in just a second. But verse, verse 28, we'll see kind of like where, what, what he, uh, where he goes. So verse 28, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heart, heartless, ruthless. So we'll uh, we'll pause with with <laughs> that summary just for now, um, and uh, we're not gonna. Well, we'll go through them real quickly, but kind of categorize some of the things. So when he says you don't choose to follow God, right? It starts with the physical coming from the internal, but then acted on physically, externally with someone else. Um, then it leads to uh, what he says a debased mind, right? Um, an unqualified or worthless mind. It's, it's uh, the idea of um, when like gold is refined and the impurities, the dross is taken out and tossed away. It's that. It's unqualified. It's not silver. It's not gold. And so it is removed. And so you then, it's, he's saying then, you are unqualified then to kind of think rationally. If you're going against nature, you know, then what is your standard, right? If you've severed from... You know, we understand if you've if you've severed from a biblical view, which is the the view that God desires for us to follow, then a step down from that is like, well, at least like what is seen in nature, and we see kind of like the commonalities in different culture of what's in our conscience and how order things are ordered. But if you then are rejecting that, then what are you standing on? What is you know your view uh, being built on? What is that foundation? And so he says it's a debased mind or worthless or unqualified mind um, to do, right, you know, what ought not to be desired. So you think that's kind of the, the, the correct order that Paul gives, right? You have carnal passions that then lead into this kind of debased thinking. Or do you think it's debased thinking that leads to your carnal passions? What's that? I think it's debased thinking, at least the carnal passions, it just starts to get out of control. Maybe if you, as you pursue those things and you're, you're, you're ignoring your conscience, and eventually your conscience just becomes numb and seared, and, and then it's easier to exchange truths for lies to justify your sin. 
God eventually gives you over to them. Okay. Like a feedback. Yeah. It's getting worse and worse. Yeah, we looked at we, we kind of talked about about uh, Genesis three a little bit, but I mean, if you think even um, you know if you've ever called out somebody for sin, let's say even a, a child, because it's usually overt, right? Um, and you say, "Why did you do that?" What is their response? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> right? I see that even even in high school. So uh, it was interesting. I have these uh, I have these cameras in my room uh, to film like students doing projects, and there was these students that were taking a test <laughs> and happened to kind of get caught like sharing answers with each other. So we like, you know, it was like signaling. Yeah, exactly. So, so, well, yeah. So we pulled them into the room and, you know, kind of talked to them about it and they're like, okay, I know it looks bad. Right. But we had already like, we were basically just confirming what we had done or not. And so, so some, right, one wrote an apology, but even said, like, but I still don't think what I did was cheating. So it was like, but I asked the question, so how would you define cheating, right? And so, well, cheating was, well, if you could just copied somebody's answers. But what we did was something else, right? There's a, there's a you act into it, then you rationalize it, right? And even, like, then you defend it. And then if you, if you haven't felt shame and you repent from it, then what's the next step? Then you do it again, and then you rationalize it, and then you've built a whole system around it, and then you invite others into it. And so, um, so that's, I mean, it was, it was really, really just interesting how we were like, you know, what does this look like? I know it looks bad, but trust me, was that? No, I mean, we didn't even have to. It was like, it was like, well, you know, I, you know, same thing. It was like, well, what's going to be the consequences of it? And so, you know, you that's what. Answers, what would you have done? What's that? If they had different answers, what would they have done? Well, and that was the, that was the thing is that they did have a couple answers, and so it was like, well, was it because they didn't? I mean, I was like, I just don't think they got to those questions yet. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's but it's possible that they were just checking. But it's like hard to know, right? It's hard to know, and I mean they're 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 good kids. They they do well independently, but you know like their their idol right now, right, is their academics, and so you know they're willing to do things that they know is wrong, but maybe over time, then they start rationalizing it. So anyway, so we'll uh, we're gonna, we're gonna we're, we haven't we let them think about it over the weekend. You know, stew over it a little bit. Hey, Drew, I'm sorry. I wanted to, I can't help but think about Ephesians 2 when you read this list of the wrath of abandonment that leads us to this, that we have to be so careful. Obviously, this is the foundation of the gospel. Until we recognize that this is not only what we were, it's who we are. Yeah. And Ephesians, Paul's saying, you know, that we once were this, we were, um, Sons of disobedience, we we walked in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Yeah, this is what Paul's saying. So we have to recognize until we recognize that I am unrighteous, evil, a coveter, malice, and so on. Even though by the Lord's grace I didn't manifest this to its end. But it, it is who I am. And if God removes his restraint, even in a believer, mm-hmm. it's his grace that still keeps us from following these flesh and passions because of the influence, satanic influences in the world. So that this is what keeps us humble. Yeah. And, and pride is so easily sneaks in to think that I could never do such things that men do. I never could. Yeah. And that is the pride that comes from the fall, even as a believer. Yeah, and, and, and hold on to that. We'll come back to this that idea, but I'm glad you... you you brought that up because it is like, so where does that lead us? So let's go through kind of like the list real quick and just kind of think like broadly, there's a several places in scripture that Paul kind of lists like, you know, a litany of sins. And so you're like, well, you know, how is he doing it? And and who knows? I don't know how he, how, how he's, he would have to 
you know, say, well, why did you list those sins? I don't know. It's what I was thinking about. Or I was looking around. I was in the market when I was writing this. And, and this is what I just saw. So kind of the beginning, the first ones are like general descriptions of sin. He says it's all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, right? So unrighteousness doing against what is right or against the law, this kind of like rebellious idea. Evil, um, just explicit right there, uh, against, counter to, to good. Covetousness, the desire for what is not theirs, and malice, right? Again, this bending or bent towards evil um, and, and pursuing evil and, and practicing that. And he says, like, we're full of envy, right? So full of envy is to desire what someone else has or disdaining somebody um, who has something that you don't have. And so, like, that's how it looks within the culture or within, you know, norms of people. Uh, murder. That's a pretty, pretty explicit one. Strife, right? So just conflict in general, deceit, this misrepresentation of the truth. And then it's going back to like the idea of malice, this maliciousness. That's kind of a characteristic of who people are. Again, not exhaustive, but you just start to see like, you know, how people look at each other, how people act towards each other, um, how people, you know, think and just like how it manifests itself. And then he talks about, you know, kind of groups of people, like, right, and this kind of descriptions of sinners. And he says they're gossips, right? So sharing what is true about somebody, but doing it in a way to make them lesser than, right? Lesser than you or lesser than, you know, everyone else. Slanderers, right? So then making something up about some someone in order to put them down. So similar to a gossip, but you're spreading falsehoods instead of truth. Haters of God. Insolent, right? So just lack of respect. Haughty, this kind of idea of superiority. Boastfulness, excessive you know, pride in talking about oneself or one's achievements. Inventors of evil. That's kind of like one like, what? Inventors of evil. Um, you know, the way I look at it is like a person who's a conspirator, right? Instead of the one who is necessarily doing it, he's the mastermind behind the, the plan. What's the that? The big thing that's like coming to my mind right now is the rise of the transgenderism of that's happening. I mean, like an inventor of evil. Like, how are they even coming up with how to do this to children and adults? And and it's lies and it's envy because people are wanting what they don't have. Yeah. And and they they hate the gender norms of you know the, the family and all of that. And I'm like, this is just. <clears throat> It's crazy thing. But right, all cast within a veil of something like of love, of right? Love. You know, so yes. uh, we need to be it's all inclusive unless you're not inclusive. Yes. Yeah. So, um, and so you say, but even, even, and, and even at the speed that it's coming, right, is like, I don't know if we can keep up because no. you're, you know, it's like LGBTQ plus question mark i don't know so you know so you've got like i mean but seriously you're like i mean just it's it's a an endless strand of letters um yeah and so this idea then inventors of evil disobedient to parents uh foolish right believing contrary to wisdom faithless contrast to being faithful heartless without compassion and ruthless having no pity uh, meaning, wanting to get your kind of agenda accomplished and doing it without a regard for somebody else in order, again, to make it normative. And so, you know, all of these things, right, looking at a society and, and seeing, right, the characteristics of that society um, is telling, right? What people esteem, what people kind of put forth as normative, those are the things that, you know, kind of talk about what, you know, where culture is headed, Right and and human history has always been filled with problematic leaders, problematic politicians, those that are famous, and those that are you know against normative. Right, you know sometimes people are are uh, attracted to those that are different. Right, but as that advances and that as that becomes in you know especially with technology and the way we can communicate with one another, um, as that becomes like more prominent, right, then we can understand and. and tell and see what that's going to mean for our future. You know, we become less and less noble and become more and more debased. 
And so what does that look like? Last thing that, that Paul says in verse 32, he says, Though they know God's righteous decree, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. So what does Paul say that, that they know? That it's wrong. Yeah. All right? And not only that, they, that it's wrong, but that it's deserving of like the ultimate penalty and punishment. And so, you know, Paul will later say, right, the wages of sin is death. And so you, you think like, what, what does that mean? Is that a physical death? But it's even more so, right? It's, it's again, you know, upping the ante every time on a particular sin in order to cover up past sins and transgressions. And it amplifies and amplifies until a person is you know, will feel the weight of that spiritual death. They're already spiritually dead, but without being saved, but the gravity of what that looks like until physically that may happen. But that's, that's where Paul says that they deserve that judgment. And not only that they practice such things, making a habit of those things, um, but what else do they do? Give approval to others. Yeah. Right? So, and he says, and beyond that, right? Like, not only as if that wasn't like bad enough, right? They give approval to practicing those things. I don't know if we're quite there yet, but we can kind of see, right? All that list of sins is not like fully out there, because when it is fully out there, that means like anything goes, and and the and you as a society and culture or empire starts to collapse then you know because you know there are too many things filling that vacuum and so when that restraint is removed you start to see kind of like what that leads to although we definitely see a lot of people and one of the restraints to do too is you know as people are leaving the church and adopting other ideas then you start to see like you know where those ideas and beliefs lead to and so where does that lead us, right? You kind of get this list of things and all this is like, oh, the culture is, you know, going in this direction and we see these things. And so what, is, what does Paul want us to glean from these things? So we'll get to, we'll get to a Randy, you can, you can pull back and say what, you know, what do we have as an understanding? Where, where might that lead to? All those people who do all those things, you know. Flesh, that's where I would that's where I would go. Yeah. And that's what that's where Randy's passage I mean, it's an overwhelming when you were talking about the penalty of the error which was due, to me the greatest penalty is letting them go their own way and not restraining. I mean physical sin is gonna be a result, the decay of the society, but their souls are sick to the very core and they're walking in death. And we who've been given life in the spirit <clears throat> It's not just the eternal life I look forward to. It's the quality of life in Christ through the Spirit now. And He's constantly restraining me from all of this list. And where would I be without that? I mean, it's an overwhelming awe. But why would He do that? Why would He spare us? And so we cannot be hateful. We cannot be harsh. I mean, we have to be merciful. Mm-hmm. We have to speak the truth. But we just, I mean, there by the God's grace, why am I not there? Yeah, and, and we see how Paul will like then, like the next, very next verse in, in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, right, therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. And so we have this tendency to then think like, where is our society going? And so where, you know, Paul desires for us to go is to realize we are no better, and he'll expand upon that as he did in, in Ephesians. And then... Uh, you know, the only thing that we have is God's grace and what he has done for us. So it starts with us in a a humbleness and compassion um, for others who are, um, who are in sin and understanding like without, right, God's intervention, we would be there as well. And so when we think kind of where God started, right, we can start with like, you know, pointing people to be thankful, right? Thankful 
to, it's funny, I'm like looking at the backboard, uh, and it's like, remedy for unhappiness is thankfulness, right? Um, and so, so uh, I mean, I think that's a truth, right, that people, it resonates within our idea, even this idea of like Thanksgiving, and you know, what are you thankful for, like people can be thankful because it is like something that is within us, right? But thankful for what, or for whom? You start to hear like, you know, I, I'm thankful for, you know, my family, thankful to who or to what. And I think those are the things like, you know, we can steer people back. Then honor, right? So thankfulness and then back to honor and then going to the, you know, the thing that Paul says everyone knows God but is suppressing it. How can we know God more and how does he want us to live? And how do we know God most fully? It's through Jesus Christ. We're actually like kind of right in a good a good season, good time. We got Thanksgiving, then we got you know Christmas and all of that. And so, how can we as a as a <laughs> as a um, body of believers left here on this earth, right in our culture, um, maybe do our part in what the Lord wants us to do? If I just, I'm sorry, I know we're about to end here, but yep. I know it's a little bit beyond the actual application of this passage, but I think it's worth considering that even as Christians. This passage is primarily about the law. Even as Christians, we can find ourselves committing some of the sins. And when we do, I think it's not too much to say that it's, it's ultimate because there are truths from the Scripture, the, the truths from God that we are denying. And that's how we find ourselves, especially as like getting entrapped in some of these sins. We, we, we begin to deny certain truths. So I just think, I think of my own sin in my own life, I know it ultimately goes back to truth. Mm-hmm. I, I am denying whether... Knowingly or somewhat subconsciously, uh, denying that truth. And a lot of times we want to fix the sin, and that, that's good. But what, what are the truths that I'm rejecting that have gotten me so wound up in this? Yeah. Sin? Right. It's like we know we're sick, but we don't. We know we need to be told in what way we are sick, and that's where Scripture like gives light to um, to that. And so, uh, yeah, that's a good. A good affirmation. Any final thoughts before we before we break? Yes. I just when I think about all the different ways the world just dives headlong into sin, there's there's so many consequences that they can't deny. It's obvious. It breaks relationships, you know, over and over generationally. And um, I mean, as Christians, sometimes that's what restrains us. We're looking like, nope, not going to do that because I don't want to have that. Well, and you see what's kind of even normative. It's, it's interesting that you see kind of this, uh, like especially with this whole broken relationships. Like how do, how do I would say our, our youth, but I mean, I guess we're all susceptible to it, um, deal with like broken relationships. There's this term like you ghost somebody, right? So instead of like dealing with like, hey, like, you know, hey, we have this issue or, you know, things aren't working out between us or whatever, then you just... Like, move on to the next thing, you know, or somebody else. And so, like, you have in your past, um, I think it's a bizarre kind of term, which is probably telling you have these ghosts of your past uh, that are people that you just want to, like, leave behind. You know, how, how can you keep going on like that? But it's the idea that, well, you know, we can just keep forging ahead and move on to the next thing. But we're like that with our sin as well. All right, we'll break there.